Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown with three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown. You get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. I mean, what's that football book is doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? You just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So, Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo back here with Sam Monson. It is an eventful Wednesday, so we got a lot to talk about here on the midweek show, Sam. Uh, NFL news, uh, a lot happening. We had the trade deadline. We have some unfortunate things happening off the field. Lots to talk about here. So yeah, none of the uh, yeah. none of the interesting and eventful news <laughs> surrounds the trade deadline, or at least moves that were made because almost nothing happened. We, we're going to talk Melvin Ingram for a sixth rounder, at least, right? Great, outstanding. Yes. That's going to be twenty five minutes of the podcast, I assume. We're going to recap Monday Night Football, Giants and Chiefs. We got a lot to discuss here. So where do you uh, where do you want to start here? Uh, well, you know the the housekeeping. We got to get through all the the housekeeping stuff. Keep sending us emails. We've got some good emails come through. We will uh, hit up a couple of them later in the show. NFL podcast, singular, at pff.com is our email address. We've got some cool stuff come through recently. Um, fire stories, fire us uh, questions, anything you want that we will potentially use, particularly on the Wednesday show. Um, so that's a good spot. Also, if you are, again, in any way, shape, or form connected with a baseball facility in the greater Cincinnati area, we are still looking for a venue to be part of this whole charity drive thing that the uh, Stinger baseball bat here is part of. Yeah, we got to get this going in the next like two weeks. It's going to happen in the next two it weeks. It was cold this morning. Be- yeah, really it's, cold. It's getting really cold for this. I had to drag the chilies in from outside lest they die. I mean, it's it's getting yeah, yeah. cold. Serious time. World yeah. Series just ended last night. Usually an indicator that it's not baseball season anymore. <laughs> and it's time to stop playing baseball. But I will say, back in Dubs, Double A, in the Eastern League. Uh huh. First, like, two weeks of the season, 35 degrees every night. Well, here's the thing. Like, 35. In what way does bad weather hinder the baseball? Sam, uh-huh. you're going to be trying to hit off me uh-huh. with a metal bat. Yeah, yeah it'll hurt. It's going to hurt. Sure. Yeah. But it's going to hurt anyway. Like wait. Ball doesn't carry as well in the cold weather either. Look, so the, if that's our limiting you factor. Might, you might hit a bomb that gets knocked down by the wind. If that's our limiting factor, I'm prepared to, to run the risk. Like, I am prepared to sacrifice some distance from the shot. It takes more time for the old man to warm up. 
Yeah. It's just a lot. I'm also prepared to sacrifice your warm up. You're right. Okay. I'm not worried. I'm not worried about it. I pitched in 34 degree weather, all that stuff. Pitched in the snow before. Right. Not worried about that. We are cold weather people. Someone suggested the local Florence Yalls could be a good stadium for us to look at. And you didn't realize that was my first professional team. I didn't. You didn't realize that the first professional pitch that I ever threw (laughs) was right down the street here in Florence, Kentucky, when we were the, the Florence Freedom back in 2004. I realized none of this. Yeah, yeah, you had no idea. So uh, we'll try to, if, if, if there's any uh, y'all's folks here uh, that could uh, hook us up with, you know, just need the mound and the plate and a little radar, bit of the infield. The radar gun. Radar gun. So and maybe the y'alls will help us out. <laughs> maybe the catcher and his, his equipment. Well, you see, like the Florent, the, the players don't like live at the stadium during the offseason. There's no, nobody there. I would guess. Oh, they, they've all, they've completely gone home at this point. Okay. Correct. Yeah. yeah, there's like probably nobody even at. The, the catcher owns his own stuff yeah. or that's like sitting in a locker somewhere. No, you probably have your own. Get your own gear. I'll need, find a catcher. I'll find a catcher. We need to find some gear. I will find a catcher. We just need we need a stadium. Okay. So I could pitch to you. A stadium. Wow. A stadium or a field. Whatever we whatever we land on. Uh, I'm throwing today. I'm going to go get her going. If you come in on Monday, like in a sling, that would be pretty funny. Not even Monday, tomorrow. Funny. You come in tomorrow. If I made it through uh, like a full eight years sling. professionally of not yeah, in yeah, yeah. college and high school of not having a surgery. Like and then the I, Baker yeah. Mayfield shoulder strap just sitting there. Certainly possible. I'd laugh. Anyway, that's all being uh, still working on it. That's all being set up. Anything else housekeeping wise? Uh, that's that's it, right? That's our housekeeping. Email us charity update. We're up to what forty four forty four sixty five as of right now, um, and uh, yeah, and email us, donate money, and figure out where the hell we're going to do this thing. All right, so we're going to do that. Uh, we're going to get it. What do we want to get into here? A little Monday Night Football review yeah, yeah. to start? Okay. We said on Wednesdays we'll review Monday Night Football a little bit. We'll preview Thursday Night Football as well. Jets and Colts, of course, will go in depth on that. Great. Um, Giants, Chiefs. Uh, there, has there ever been a more demoralizing win in NFL history <laughs> than the Chiefs' 20-17 to win over the Giants? This was supposed to be the Chiefs' get-right game for their offense, and boy, does it look bad offensively for the it, Chiefs. It's just so funny. We're like, last week, the narrative out there was, the Chiefs' offense is fine. Don't worry about it. It's just turning the ball over a lot, and turnovers are fluky. Eventually, that'll stop happening, and then it, everything's good. And, you know, certain people have been pointing to numbers that suggest the offense isn't really that fine. It's it's productive outside of the turnovers, but it's not what it used to be. And that's potentially a problem that also feeds into the turnovers. But anyway, then we have this game against the Giants where their offense comes out cooking, taking the easy stuff, like maximizing all the thousand paper cuts, marches straight down the field, and then immediately starts to commit turnovers again. Then we come out of this game, and now everybody in the space of a week has now decided that everything is broken with the Chiefs' offense, and what do we need to fix? We're like one game away from you all claiming that this was not a thing, and now it's a thing. People were trying to defend the turnover aspect, and I thought you had a very astute point, and we discussed it last week, that it's not just the turnover-worthy play number, and I appreciate everybody around the football landscape here using our (laughs) turnover-worthy plays, right? They're using our point... That look, he doesn't, Mahomes doesn't have that many more turnover worthy plays this year than last year. He's now up to 12. Last year at this time, he had about 10 and only one interception to show for it. Um, this year, he's actually got that hidden one. He's got 13, but he's got 13 turnover worthy plays this year. 
and but the ten was, actual interceptions. But a bunch of those are fumbles. Right. But the point was the rate that people were saying. Like <clears throat> up until yet up until Monday, he had a lower turnover-worthy play rate than last year. But these plays are worse. These, right. these are the more likely to become turnover plays. Even that after has. even after Monday, it's only marginally ahead. But the point was not all turnover-worthy plays are created equal. There is a scale of how bad the turnover-worthy play was. And Mahomes has significantly more really bad turnover-worthy plays than he had in previous years. So it's not that he's it's not that he's putting the ball in harm's way more, it's that he's really putting the ball in harm's way more often. Yeah, and to be honest, the other night, um, what, two actual... Was it two at one actual turnover, right? Just the one interception, which was a one interception, a funky one, right? Off a helmet and yep. bounces up. But then three total turnover worthy plays, including two that defenders got their hands on, one bad misread of an underneath linebacker that he tried to throw it through. And then Mahomes also fumbled in the pocket, had a good question on Twitter about, oh, but sometimes you guys absolve the fumbles. We absolve the fumble if it's like in the throwing motion and it's literally blindsided. Like you just can't avoid it if you're the quarterback. It's more of a bad block situation. This was Mahomes holding the ball four or five seconds in the pocket and then fumbling. Um, but the turnover luck reverted back, back, right? I mean, that was when they were in field goal range for the game winning field goal and he fumbled. Like they were trying to throw the game away again, or at least Mahomes was. So, um, it's, it's a slump, man. I'm watching this game saying the Chiefs offense is in a slump. As a team, they've scored 23 points over the last two games. Like something is just wrong here with the Chiefs offense. And they do have Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey still on the field, right? So if, if you had told me, Hey, look, the Chiefs offense is going to slump, I would say, okay, who'd they lose? Is it Tyree right. or is it Kelsey? Which one did they lose? So now, now people are saying, are talking about this whole, well, it's, it's too high safety. Patrick Mahomes apparently can't be cover two. Um, Do you need and, some numbers behind that too, as well? Oh, you got some? I've got some numbers. Okay. What do the you got? Chiefs have faced if you if you call cover two, cover four, cover six, two high shells. That's when you generally have two high safeties. It's it's not all cover two, but it's two high safeties. It's a safer coverage. Fifty uh, percent of the Chiefs' dropbacks are facing two high shells. The next closest team is the Jaguars at thirty-seven percent. So that is a massive difference. So the, the Chiefs truly are facing different defensive schemes than any other team around the league so you can carry on with your point just wanted to add that context well so there's a few things at work here one the nfl generally is trending towards more too high looks right this brandon staley vic fangio defense that is now in vogue is pulling the league away from those old seattle legion of boom style defenses so the league is pivoting towards more too high shells and the reason they're doing that is because generally speaking, those are better at stopping the pass and stopping explosive pass plays, right? So Staley's defense, the perfect example. Look at what they were able to do, in particular to Russell Wilson. Like the Seahawks live with those deep pass plays. A couple of times last year, the Seahawks offense rolls out there and just like just shit the bed against this defense. They had no idea how to get the how to manufacture those deep shots again. The Rams took them away. That's what everybody is doing right now. And in particular, they're doing it to the Chiefs. Um, and it's it's not like everybody's just running Tampa 2, right? Remember, this this was a thing in the past, right? The Tampa 2 defense, this is how you take away the deep ball. Eventually, offenses figured out where the holes were and where the soft spots were in Tampa 2 defenses and could still just attack it. Those cover two hole shots down the sideline, the, you know, get a linebacker to carry the slot vertically, big hole in the middle. You could attack that, so teams went away from that. Now what you're seeing is this much more sophisticated kind of too high defense um, that is 
taking away those deep passes. And most offenses are not patient enough to take the five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten yard pass play every single snap and go on 15 play drives and score that way. The Chiefs have been in the past. Right, like we've seen them do that before. I've been on this show saying, I'm impressed by the Chiefs. They were patient in this game. But they're not at the moment. Right. Like they started off that Giants game doing that. And it was like, oh, look, they've learned. They're they're patient. They're doing what's what's being given to them. And then as soon as they had that first turnover, it was like, oh, that's gone out the window. Now we're back to pushing. We're trying to get the thing done. We're, We're worried. But the other thing is, it isn't that when you looked at what the Giants were doing, with their two high looks, it was some, like it was clever stuff. They weren't just like lining up and tap it too and saying, "Oh, now you don't have the deep ball. What can you do?" They were doing like they would come out of those two high sh- high shells and bracket cover Tyreek and Kelsey. Right. And more than ever in the past, the Chiefs are so reliant on those two guys and have nothing beyond them. Again, it's not like this is the first time teams have gone out there and said, "Well, let's double team those two, and then what do you got left?" This was—I mean—that was Belichick's plan for years, and as I mentioned before, um, I'll, I'll tell you about the difference in man. And in the past, when you did that, that's when Sammy Watkins would get like twelve for a yeah. buck fifty and two touchdowns, because, or the screen game, or just something right, else. Because you had a third option that they were comfortable going to, who could win one on one. Now, who's your third option? Right, Miko Hardman. Demarcus Robinson, like none of those guys are capable of winning one-on-one 15 times in a game and carrying the pass game. So all of a sudden, when they drop down those shells and they double-team the two places Mahomes wants to go with the ball, and he's pressing, and they're getting freaky turnover luck, everything's bad. Let me add some perspective here, too, because I I wrote um, in one of my weekly articles last year about how the Chiefs, actually still perform well offensively if Mahomes doesn't play well. It was it was uncanny. And again, I think one of the best things that we do here is separate the quarterback play from the production of the offense. So just using last year as an example, Mahomes had three, four games where he graded, three games where he was 65, graded at 65 or below. Uh, we'll throw the Super Bowl in there because that, that, the, that was the beginning of this where it just didn't work. Super Bowl, the stats were bad and the grades weren't great either. But Mahomes had this history of grading at 65 or below, 60 or below, wherever you want to put the cutoff. In the offense still performing well. For instance, last year against Buffalo, we gave him a 61 overall grade. He still ends up with a 128 passer rating. Like the stats were still exceptional. Against New England, a 44 grade. A 44 grade, but he still had a passer rating of 113. If you're just using these traditional stats, I know passer rating is not the best number. I'm just trying to use context here. That was, in, that was because in the New England game, in the Buffalo game, turnover luck, tap passes for touchdowns, like all that stuff added up. My point is, in the past, when Mahomes didn't play well, the offense still generally produced, right? Because it was like, okay, you've got a Kelsey, you have a Tyree Kill, and you because they uh, get so much attention, the screen game has always been outstanding under Andy Reid and the whole thing. Now that stuff is gone. And watching that offense, it was, I mean, death by a thousand swing passes and little five-yard hitches, right? Mm-hmm. It really was. And then when they came out of that, if they tried to do anything else, it just wasn't happening. They did have Tyreek open on a deep shot, and Mahomes missed it. And and that's the other piece of this, right? So I don't think that the offense is just firing, right? It's not making up for games where Mahomes isn't great. But you also remember when we joked in the preseason that one game that Mahomes had, I think it was against Arizona, he missed like five out of seven throws. It was bad. It was terrible. And we were like, oh, yeah, the Bucks broke Mahomes. I'm seeing elements of that inaccuracy here. Um, it was a it was an innocent little preseason game, 
that mattered not for like the first four weeks of the season. But all of a sudden, Mahomes is like missing throws that he's usually hitting and all that stuff. There's just a lot of things adding up here. Yeah. Right? With the Chiefs offense to the, and, and again, 23 points over two weeks. That, that used to be like the second quarter. Yeah. For the Chiefs. And I think people are right in terms of look, if they stop turning the ball over tomorrow, most of those problems go away. If the defense stops being the worst unit in the NFL, most of those problems go away. Like they're, they're, those are the two biggest things impacting the Chiefs this season versus the Chiefs in previous seasons. But to act like the offense is exactly the same as it's always been, plus added turnovers, is not true. Like the offense is not what it used to be. And I think there's a bunch of things impacting that, not least of which is that Mahomes and the offense know that they don't have the margin for error that they used to. They know that they're turning it over and they know that their defense isn't stopping anybody. So all of a sudden, you're under pressure yeah. to be perfect. So when, and, and that's so much harder when you know you have to do it in 10 plays. Like when in the past, you knew that, okay, that's fine. We'll go out there and we're only ever like a 50 yard bomb away from putting seven on the board. And I think there's like a, there's a freedom to that. You can play a lot more relaxed and a lot more efficient knowing that you just have the capacity to flip a switch and immediately put points on the board. Now they don't have that because teams are taking that away. And okay, you might scheme one up every now and again. It's still, it's still available, but. It's not what you can rely on. So you know have you know now that you have to go out there and execute a ten play drive without screwing it up and without turning it over and win that way. And I think that's just hard. And now they're in this position where they're pressing, they're waiting for it to happen, and as soon as something goes wrong, the wheels fall off the wagon completely. I, I think it's a big test. It's a big test for Mahomes right here. Um it's interesting that he has been elite for three years and he hasn't run into a slump like this until now in year four. And that, say, the league hasn't adjusted to him until year four. Also, you know, is Travis Kelsey losing a, a little bit of a step here? Is he, he looked pretty good early in the season. Doesn't look as good right now. I don't know how much of that stuff is a factor. Right. But we've also got to, like, you you have to <laughs> – we have to do this in the context of the last three years, right? So there's people now who are like, Patrick Mahomes, his mechanics are all over the place. He's making weird throws. He's doing, like, stuff that you never coach. When you say people – you almost always mean Dan Orlovsky. Not always. A lot of the time. Look, Dan happens to have some bad opinions. And when that happens, I, I refer to them. I'm trying to save the man by not calling him out every week. I call him out every week because <laughs> you refer to him as people. His name is Dan. There are other people making the same bad point that, like, yes, Patrick Mahomes right now has some pretty atrocious mechanics. On the other hand, Patrick Mahomes just spent three years blowtorching the league with some pretty bad mechanics. The same mechanics. How can you complain about it now? I'm, I'm of the belief that there's really no such thing as good or bad mechanics. I know you are. But so it, you, it, your army either gets to where it needs to go or it doesn't. And if it does, it's good. If it doesn't, it's bad. I'm just, you cannot now decide that the way he plays the game is a problem. And, Kudos to, by the way, pre-game they were talking about this. And Alex Smith, of all people, was like, don't rein him in a bit. Let yeah. him play the game the way he plays the game because right. that's how you get what you just had. Yeah. Don't like, don't tap the brakes on that. That's the worst so, thing you could do. Peyton Manning, though, did make some really good points. They showed some plays from the Titans game. where, And this reminds me of Rodgers. Because Rodgers has been through these ebbs and flows through his career, right? When you look at Aaron Rodgers' career, you say, elite quarterback, he's awesome. We'll talk about Rodgers later as well because he's out this week. Rodgers is great. 
He's gone through pl- times when he did not play great. And what was it? He was not taking what was there in structure. And I thought Peyton did a really good job saying, take the five-yard curl. Take the little hitch route. Take the route that's within structure. Even the last play of the game that Mahomes had. He takes a sack. They kick a game-winning field goal. He had open receivers. He's had open receivers that he's just scrambling away from a clean pocket. If you're blaming the offensive line that they that they redid, maybe the tackles aren't as good as Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz. Pass blocking grade is seventh in the NFL right now. And the other night was the highest pass blocking grade the Chiefs have had all year. Right? So it also goes to show, this is what our numbers tell us, right? A great offensive line does not put points on the board. It might keep you from having detrimental drives and, you know, third and longs getting sacked and being under heavy pressure. Offensive line doesn't put points on the board, though. They got the best offensive line effort of the year and they struggle to move the ball against a not so good Giants defense. And, uh, and that's, and they have one of the best run blocking units. Like Creed Humphrey's breaking records for rookie centers right now. And Trey Smith is unbelievable Mm. right now as they are awesome up front from an offensive line standpoint, or at least as good as they've been over the last four years. Right. I'm not saying that Mahomes is playing well or that everything's fine. I'm just saying that you can't start to determine what's wrong with him and point to things that have been exactly the same for like four years and now decide they're a problem. Like, Mahomes doesn't play the game like a conventional quarterback. Never has, probably never will. You can't just flip, you can't just decide now because things are going badly, that's a problem. Like, either this was a thing or it's not. And it hasn't been a problem for three straight years. Like, he has, he has been not just outperforming everybody else, but putting up what looked like unsustainable numbers and things that were completely unrealistic to ever expect. You can't then, once you start writing the the other end of that variance, determine that it's a problem and we need him to start taking some pieces of Alex Smith's game and playing, you know, like Tom Brady. Like, it's just not – that's not the way you fix this. Uh, it's Look, it's all part of the NFL, man. You, you have to make adjustments. We talked about this with Sean McVay a couple of years ago where we said, look, maybe hit, the offense has hit, has hit a wall. Something needs to change here because defenses are catching up to it or at least adjusting to it. So now it's, you know, it's your move, Chiefs. How are you going to, you still have Patrick Mahomes. You still have a very talented quarterback. You still have Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. Um, just to, to put a bow on this piece though, to land the plane even, Sam. Remember that ridiculous mm-hmm. term that showed up and when we, when we were early in our business meetings, mm-hmm. like who the heck talks like that? To land this plane on the Chiefs. You apparently. <laughs> apparently they, they've, they've suckered me right in. Uh, all the offseason talk about they invested all this money and time and draft capital in the offensive line. The real hole is not only Tyreek and Travis Kelsey insurance, but wide receiver three, wide receiver four. If you're going to scorched earth the league, it is by having more playmakers. And they are lacking in that department. And it wasn't – that was the bigger issue in the Tampa Bay Super Bowl than the off- – the offensive line was bad too. But that was as big of an issue. Uh you do not protect the offensive line any better than having an open receiver in rhythm, and the Chiefs just don't have that beyond their top two. As you said, defense is taking those guys away. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a team-building challenge for the Chiefs. Yeah, so there are some problems with the Chiefs' offense. They were also there last week, um, just you know, in case you're new to the case. You've only stumbled upon these problems after Monday night. Yeah, These have been here for a while. And it was supposed to be an incredible battle. It was supposed to be Aaron Rodgers versus Patrick Mahomes. Finally, right? We didn't get it in 2019. Patrick Mahomes got hurt. It was Matt Moore instead. We didn't get it in 2020. The Bucks beat the Packers, so we didn't get that Super Bowl. And now uh, Aaron Rodgers is going to be out Sunday 
with COVID. We'll get to that in a second. NFL fans, I know you're hungry for a big win this week. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. They got you covered. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game. And if they do, you win $200 in free bets. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't yet available in your state, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. And DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game. Pretty simple. All they have to do is win. And you win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win. With the promo code PFF, this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit, $1 wager required, one per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, so it's going to be Jordan Love against Patrick Mahomes. Great. Weekend. Yay. So we don't get the great battle. No. Um Obviously, an important loss for the Packers. Rodgers is out. Yeah, some people are just... It's breaking news for some people here live on YouTube. Rodgers is out, tested positive for COVID, and uh, Kirk Bankert is also out. So, the Packers are down to one quarterback. It's Jordan Love. Yeah. And we don't get to see Rodgers Mahomes. No. And it turns out Rodgers may well have lied about being vaccinated all along, having said... He lied to the media. Yes. Which is... Also, potentially... Cares? So... I don't care. They're now talking that... Well... You can lie to, saying, you're allowed to lie, lie to the media. I mean, you're allowed to, but it doesn't stop you looking like a jackass when, oh, you're, sure. when you're found out. <laughs> I mean, the, the media would never mislead us. Why would we do but that? But it also turns out that the Packers and the NFL may have known about this because... <coughs> so when they asked him way back in August, are you vaccinated? He replied, yeah, I'm immunized, which is a weird choice of words to use when you're given... When you're like prompted with the word to use, like, are you vaccinated? Yes, I'm vaccinated. Are you vaccinated? Yeah, I'm immunized is a strange word choice to, to, to grab. Now, either this was just an outright lie and he wasn't playing word games or he was deliberately like misrepresenting the definition of the term immunized. Either way, he's then been like rocking around the place without a mask, which you have to do in the NFL protocols if you're unvaccinated, which is why you see Carson Wentz with a mask every time he does these interviews. Um, now it seems like the Packers and the NFL may have known that he wasn't vaccinated. So people have been facilitating him breaking the protocols, having, you know, fairly hardly clamped down on Lamar Jackson and made essentially bullied him into getting vaccinated. And Cam Newton may or may not be with the team, may or may not be relevant to his vaccination status. Um, but all I'm saying is all of a sudden we appear to have a lot of people appear to have made things quite a lot easy for Aaron Rodgers to get around all of this stuff versus other people. There was a report that he was following protocol at the stadium, but to your point, it's... I mean, he did interviews and whatever you could see. <clears throat> you could see for your own eyes what was happening. Yeah. So, so somebody's going to be in trouble, is all I'm saying. I, I just... It's, people are up in arms because he misled people in an interview when that's the bigger issue is probably there's going to be some sort of punishment come down if that's yeah. if that's the case i also think look when you're asked the question directly like every other human has just been saying i'm not going to answer it's a personal choice right whatever bullshit that is as a platitude it's at least it's at I least think that's a, i think it's a fair answer that's a, well, well mind your own business right which is absolutely fine for you to say right i disagree on the basis that in a global pandemic and a medical emergency other people's business is also your business now like how other people react to this this health crisis actually affects my life right 
It's like, you know, do I care that you ha- that you drive within the speed limit and obey the rules of the road? Well, yes, because if you don't, it can impact me. So the point is, though, everyone else, when they haven't been vaccinated and they've been asked, are you vaccinated? They don't say no. Generally, they say, I'm not going to get into that now. It's a personal yeah. dis- personal choice. Okay. Again, I disagree, but that's fine. You at least answered the question without answering the question and didn't lie. Rogers said, yes, I'm Im- immunized, which is it's just a lie. Like It's just, okay, you can debate whether you're allowed to lie to the media, but it's generally not something people do, and you're probably not supposed to, but I don't know. Anyway, he's out. He Rogers got caught in his lie, and he's probably going to be in trouble for it. Now yeah, we get to see Jordan Love take on Mahomes. I don't know what the what the punishment looks like for that. I don't even know who gets punished because Rodgers, the Packers, and the NFL appear to have facilitated this. And the NFL are the ones, presumably, are going to be meeting meeting out the punishment. So how the hell does that work? I don't know. We'll we'll find out. I wanted to see Rodgers Mahomes, though. Yes. Even a a broken Mahomes. We're never going to get to see it. It's like you always wanted the Rodgers-Brady Super Bowl. It's just never going to happen. I just always predicted it. Yeah, that's what I yeah. predicted for 10 straight years. That's This is going to be that as well. We're, we're never going to see Mahomes-Rodgers. Yeah, because uh, they just played. Yeah, I'm, I mean, unless Rodgers goes to the Broncos next year. Mm. Then we'll maybe find That'll be see. really fun to find out how he misses two games a year. I know, right? Or Mahomes does. Two to three. Well, it's an, it's an opportunity for the Chiefs now. Because uh, the Chiefs have the Packers, the Raiders, the Cowboys coming up. As uh, again, the feeling of the feeling of the Chiefs losing to the Titans and scoring three points was bad, but the feeling of the Chiefs beating the Giants by three <laughs> it was way with worse. a game-winning field goal just felt way worse. Like, oh, they were supposed to get right there. Um, so it doesn't get any easier for the Chiefs. This is one easier step. I am interested in seeing Jordan Love and his development and the whole thing. Um, but yeah, it takes a little luster off that game. And obviously, we'll preview that entire game this uh, tomorrow on tomorrow's weekend preview show. Um, the other piece of it is, you know, the Packers have one loss. You know, the Bucks just lost. Packers just beat the Cardinals. The NFC top seed is wide open and really competitive. And just one game here or there is huge in this breakdown. So not having Aaron Rodgers is, is really an issue. Yeah. Um, it is going to be fascinating, though, seeing what we get out of Jordan Love. Like, we've incredibly small sample size in any form uh, of play the Chiefs have a terrible defense like this is a game where Jordan Love could and potentially should look good I mean Kevin Clark tweeted that the uh, the Packers have like whatever it is six days to draw up for Jordan Love who Daniel Sorensen is like (laughs) here's the game plan just circle Daniel Sorensen in every play. Just find 49. Right. Find 49, throw the ball 49 there. 49 is not the mic. He's the target. Right. He's the bullseye. That, like pre-snap, you know, call. It's just, there's 49. That's where you're running. Um, like, it's a game where we should come out of this thinking that Jordan Love had a good game. Like, there's no reason why he wouldn't look good against, like, the worst defense in the NFL. I mean, there's reasons, but. Well, I the reasons that- would be that he isn't very good. But <laughs> my point is, this is a great starting spot. Uh, let's touch really quickly on the Chiefs trading for Melvin Ingram. So a lot of hype. Uh, There's a lot to talk about. Even though there weren't a lot of trades, Deshaun Jackson getting released. Uh, we'll touch on the Henry Ruggs thing. There's a lot here. But um, Melvin Ingram was the one actual trade of somewhat significance going from the Pittsburgh Steelers to the Chiefs for a sixth-round pick. Ingram clearly wanting out of Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh obliging. But well, he's been rushing the passer pretty well early in the season. The Steelers just stopped using him, and I don't 
know why. Dropping them into coverage a little bit. Well, like, they do that is that, like that's, that's something what, that's that part of their scheme. Yeah, their defense does that in a way that a lot of others don't. But like, yes, Melvin Ingram was rushing the passer extremely well earlier in the season, and then his playing time just—I mean, he started off. 54 snaps, 57 snaps, 47, 35, 36, 17. We've just been slowly taking his playing time away. Why? I don't know. If you're like me, though, if you see when Melvin Ingram gets traded, I would go to Premium Stats 2.0 and break down how well has he been playing. And we've got 25% off if you don't have it yet. PFF Pod, uh, NFL Pod, NFL Pod, P-O-D, is your 25% off discount promo code for any pff subscription so that's what i would do is go click on melvin ingram click on his page and you could see an 82.1 pass rush grade i don't know what the answer is other than maybe you know alex highsmith is the future at that position glad you bring that up because that's what i was going to say some people will say well of course they're scaling him back so they can get alex highsmith more involved and he flashed last year he looked good okay so right now melvin ingram has a pff pass rushing grade of 82.1 and alex highsmith has one of 59.8 and you say well you know, you and your fancy PFF grades, they're just abstract numbers. They don't mean anything. Okay. Uh, Alex Highsmith has rushed the passer 159 times and has 10 total pressures. Melvin Ingram has rushed the passer 140 times, so 19 fewer, and has 18 total pressures, eight more. He has been objectively a better pass rusher than Highsmith this season by quite some margin. And yet you are swinging those ratios in the wrong direction to the point where Melvin Ingram takes a look at that and goes, Guys, huh? What's going on here? I'm better than this guy. Why are you taking away my playing time? And they've gone, eh, don't care. We're going to trade you away now. Bye-bye. Don't question. Don't question our our methods. Especially a Steelers team that's four and three. And, you know, they're they're trying to make that one last push here. You know, they're not in rebuilding mode necessarily. So um, from a Pittsburgh standpoint, Alex Highsmith will be the guy. From a Kansas City standpoint, it's nice to have Ingram. Frank Clark played his best game as a Chief by our grades yeah. the other night. So those are the two edge rushers. Chris Jones back fully on the interior now, mm-hmm. hopefully, Probably. most likely. But, you know, look, Melvin, for all the talk, every year we talk about big-name pass rushers. We talk about pass rushers in the draft and spending high draft capital. Getting a guy like Melvin Ingram for pennies on the dollar who could still rush the passer is a really pretty valuable asset in the NFL. So... I think it's a good move by the Chiefs. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, yes, this is the kind of move that any contending team, I think, is wise to make, right? You grab a guy that's still clearly a productive pass rusher at an important position, and all it costs you is a six-round pick, all for it. Let's touch on uh, we'll touch on the Henry Ruggs news a little bit. Unfortunate news. Yeah. Henry um, Ruggs, uh, so uh, convicted of drunk driving. No, charged. Charged with drunk driving as of this morning, right? Charged. Yes. Driving 156 yeah. was the report, which is absurd. Rear-ended a car, killed a woman and her dog. Oh, God. Car burst into flames. He yeah. was traveling with a passenger and a loaded gun um, and was apparently drunk. Yeah. This, so, by the way— Not bad. And then, the obviously, you're already thinking, okay, terrible, terrible incident. His career's obviously in jeopardy. And then the Raiders officially released him yesterday as well. Yeah. I mean, the— the most obvious reaction to all this is like, this is an incredibly sad thing to happen. And not because like Henry Ruggs, the 22 year old kind of flushed his life down the toilet, though that's obviously an unfortunate thing, but because like there's a woman and a dog that are dead now because this guy couldn't phone an Uber or use the NFL car service that exists in every 
in every major city in the country or, you know, have a designated driver or just any of the many ways to avoid driving your ass hammered back from wherever the hell it is you've been at 156 miles an hour. Like there was a generation, there was a time where drink driving wasn't seen as a particularly big deal and was just something people did. And, you know, you could kind of not excuse it, but it was a, a relatively accepted part of life. That time's a long time ago now. Like, even in this country, which I think has been slower to adopt those attitudes than other countries yeah. where it's still, we are talking decades ago. You are a 22 year old. You cannot have that attitude anymore. Like, it's just not life. You, it's so easy now to avoid drink driving. So easy. There is Uber, Lyft, the car service. You're rich. You could just pay somebody to drive you. You, there's two of you. One of you just doesn't drink. Like, it's so easy and so avoidable and so stupid for this to happen and yet here we are and henry ruggs like raiders immediately cut him and even though you're like well of course they did the guy killed somebody late at night oh yeah 3 30 a.m was another aspect of this right, right. who was who had that line like nothing good happens after 2 30 in the morning or whatever even after midnight right it's probably Perhaps. true yeah um so all of those things yeah raiders even after all that you're you're still kind of vaguely surprised when the nfl just immediately cuts a guy that's like a key part of the team but the Raiders immediately got rid of him he's going to be charged with or he has been charged with this if he's convicted it's a minimum two years in jail yeah they knew I mean I think a lot of it is they knew sure he's getting charged and it's it's not looking good he's in his second year he was the 12th overall pick in the draft um from a football standpoint we had a lot of discussions about rugs and the merits of grabbing a guy that runs 4-2 versus uh, more polished receivers but all of that pretty much doesn't matter anymore because he's he's out of the nfl at the moment and uh yeah unfortunate incident of course it's just so like it's so sad and so avoidable like how hard is this we know now that you don't drink and drive no there's so many ways to avoid doing it i agree with you there are uber lyft or whoever else wants to sponsor the show we'll mention everybody there are easier ways to get lifts i mean to get to get cars right so that was i don't like talking about this stuff no, it, like it's not fun, but I, I think it is something that we should talk about and cover. Like this is why as much everybody loves freedom and personal freedom and your choice to do whatever the hell you want. But there are times in a society where your choices impact other people. And this is one of those times you don't have the freedom to drink and drive. That is something you're not allowed to do because it isn't just your life you're putting at risk. Yeah, nobody's fighting for that freedom, though. Nobody's saying, let me let me drink and drive i think you're right though there, well, was, you, there was a time where people you head to the west of ireland the healy rays will uh will pitch oh, yeah. you on that one yeah it was it was like um yeah people joked about it and stuff right i mean it wasn't yeah like, i mean uh, i a big deal i remember to a lot of people when i was like when i was a teenager you know there was some family like reunion party thing somewhere in dublin and like one of the old 80 plus year old grandparents you know got in the car at the end of this thing and like drove home pretty hammered and it's like you know cars crawling along a few however many blocks of the city it was at like you know 20 miles an hour and you're like oh i hope they don't you know crash into something but that's like that's like 20 30 years ago at this point like we're old as hell that's a long yeah, time ago me. i know you know you're gonna that's a long time ago now right the, the current generation 22 year olds shouldn't have experienced that we've right. just developed so far beyond that uh, Deshaun Jackson has been released by the Los Angeles Rams. That was the, one of the guys that Ruggs always got compared to. Deshaun Jackson, wide receiver four for the Rams, un, 
unhappy with his playing time. I think they tried to trade him, didn't find any willing partners. So Deshaun Jackson's out there, potential speed receiver out there. And even at his old age, came into the league in 2008, still has the ability to get behind defenses. So not sure if uh, – well, somebody's going to look to pick him up. Any uh, any thoughts on Deshaun being out there with the Rams? Yeah, I mean, he's the From guy – he's he's the mercenary for hire, right? Deep, deep, deep target available. Like, will travel, will – you know, like he's the guy. You And he's now available for anybody. It was working – on the field, it was working for the Rams, right? They were getting yeah. a lot of success out of him. Now, obviously, off the field, it, it wasn't going as well or schematically or whatever it is. They weren't – he wasn't in love with the opportunities he was getting. They may not have been in love with what he was giving them in total. So they mutually decided to, you know, bail on the experiment. But the Wherever threat he, he brings goes, is it gonna, he's not going to have that many opportunities, even if he goes to any team. Like, yeah, and like, but the threat he brings is evident. And like, I don't know if you can like just keep him happy for long enough. But yeah. like right now, you only need to keep him happy for half a season in the playoffs. You know, if you're one of those teams, Green Bay. I mean, it's it's got to be tempting. I think I, I'm I'm the person who would always sign a Deshaun Jackson, right. always sign a John Ross, who is you know the top receiver the other night for the Giants. I always want that guy. I also want him as my third or fourth option, uh, which you know m- maybe he wasn't happy about. But if he did go to the Packers, and it's like you know what Marquez Valdez Scantling usually brings to that offense, but he's been hurt this year. Get behind the defense once or twice a game. You give me an opportunity for a 50 yard touchdown, a free 50 yard touchdown. So the Packers, the Chiefs, after all this. You know that we've talked about. Can you get him and him and Tyreek on the on the field at the same time? The Titans do the Titans without Derrick Henry need to pivot to, you know, trying to win through the pass with the pa- through the pass game a little bit more with Julio and AJ Brown and then a Deshaun Jackson type. I'm just looking at like the best teams in the league. They could all use yeah. this type of player. He's he should be a coveted um, commodity. I want to read you a couple of emails. The first one I want to read you just because I want to get your uh, take on a phrase that was used. I'm only using the, I'm only reading this email because of one. Did I get um, the email? One four word phrase that I just, that made me laugh. Do I have to pronounce it or something? No, no, I got it. Don't worry. Just okay. sit back and chill. Uh, this email is coming from Matthew C. Um, and it was it, like, it's, it's a vaguely interesting story. It's not as good as the Kelsey story with the ice hockey, right? Oh, yeah. But it is an interesting story that I'm going to read just because it's got a funny phrase in it. This guy apparently played against Chase Claypool in high school over in Canada. Uh, Claypool went 0 for 3 with two pass breakups when targeted into this guy's coverage. Uh, he says that means he should be a corner in the NFL, right? Only <laughs> That's how it works, yeah. But he also says, here's the phrase, in the same game, Claypool was flipped ass over tea kettle by a 130-pound punter who was primarily a rugby player. Uh, he ended up kicking his own teammate in the face on the play. And yes, he was still a 200-pound-plus guy in high school. Is ass over tea kettle a term? Oh, yeah. From where? I don't know, but I mean, it's pretty... I really? Knew, I knew he fell over his face. Yeah. yeah. I've heard ass over face. I've never heard ass over Oh, this feels cap. like something that would have started across the pond and then made its way here. It does, right? But like, I've never guys, heard that before. You guys have way more tea kettles over there than we do. Sure. In general. I mean, it's more, yeah, teapot rather than a tea kettle. Oh, okay. Okay. Maybe that's where the, the maybe that's where, div, where that's where we diverged. It's like the, it's like the pot calling the kettle black, Sam. I don't is. think it is, but sure. Uh, I've just never heard the term ass over tea kettle before. I like it. I'm going to use it more in conversation. Great. I can't wait to hear hear more um, of that on the podcast. Next email. This one is from Daniel O'Keefe. And this guy just wants to add his voice to the absolute chorus of people in favor of random rugby jerseys for every pod. That's so what you're reading here? On Monday, there was just one person that gave me the green light. Since then, I mean, look, we're up to at least five, maybe six. 
it's it's been a it's been a landslide, Steve. Um, as a Leinster season ticket holder, he's biased, but he was stoked when he saw the classic away jersey feature on the first YouTube video he watched. Uh, next up, so he wants me to then explain to you the tomato is a fruit speech that Brian O'Driscoll gave once. It is a pretty funny story. Basically, Brian O'Driscoll was dared by his teammate to whatever to shoehorn the term. Um, Knowledge is knowing a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. So he was dared to get that into a press conference. He was like, just figure out a way of doing it. So Driscoll basically, he was like, it didn't even matter what the question was. Like, that was going to be my answer. Like, whatever they were asking, that's what that's I was firing out there. It in. You just Absolutely. It. You just yeah. fire it out there. It doesn't matter. What are they going to do? Call you on it? Um, so, yeah, he, he put that in. And it turns out that the bet was that if he won, the other guy or whoever lost the bet had to essentially get a uh, back sack and crack wax so that he that's he didn't want that made the other guy get it that's the story that's the story so the other guy got the wax i believe i i haven't seen evidence of that but that was the ultimate conclusion of where that was going to go he shoehorned it in it oh, became gosh. like this viral moment of what the fuck is brian o'driscoll talking about it sounds like a stupid bet and then the other gordon darcy must have had to get the the waxing can we stick with our lunch bets please Sure. Which, by the way, I don't want to get. Yeah, I'm not looking bad for you. I'm not betting that. I mean, no. At no point will I be risking that as a consequence. Do anything with some of that you don't need because you know, thanks to Manscaped. That's true. Yeah. Good. You got a Manscaped read there, or is no, no? We're still off for the week. Nope. Manscaped is not a part of the show. That would have been a great uh, transition. But they'll be. It would. We got to time this up a little bit better. Time up the emails a little bit better. All right. Now we got to talk about the Rams' approach to the draft. Uh, one other thing, uh, while we're talking about receivers not playing football, Michael Thomas and OBJ. Touch on them quickly. Did Thomas... Uh, he announced he's out for the season. Did he Scotty Pippen this thing? I got injured on company time. I'm only rehabbing on company time. Like, is that... Is that the way he was wording it? No. Well, obviously, that's not how he worded it. But, like, is that what he's doing here? Because people were complaining about the timing. Because he had the second surgery, right? Right in the dawn of the or the eve of the season. I don't and everyone's like, why didn't you get that I think in March? he just had setbacks at bad times. I think there was a reasonable, like, there was talk that Sean Payton and the Saints were frustrated at the timing of the last time he got the surgery. Interesting. And now he's shutting it down for the season right after Jameis Winston disappears. I mean, that's not a good decision for anybody, though. I mean, it works out pretty well for Michael Thomas. Does it? Yeah. I mean, he's getting paid in the whole thing, but like, you still want to be on the field producing to get paid more. Well, he's getting paid, and his his capacity to have good numbers may have just disappeared. Yeah, I mean, I think. I mean, if I was Michael Thomas and I was like working my way back from a lengthy and you serious just want to play under injury, Drew, you just want to play with Drew Brees. Well, with Drew Brees, or you know, if Jameis Winston is your quarterback, you can see a world where you have some significant production. All of a sudden, your options become Taysom Hill and Trevor Simeon. I might consider how much I really need to push back from this ankle injury. That's all I'm saying. So Michael Thomas announces he's out for the season. So the Saints are not getting reinforcements to the receiving core. That is not great. And probably needs a little bit more help. Taysom Hill, the starter now with uh, Drew, with obviously Drew Brees is gone, but Jameis Winston out for the season. So Michael Thomas announces that he's gone. And then uh, Kevin Stefanski announces to the Cleveland Browns that OBJ is essentially gone. So we did break down OBJ on the daily. Was it today? Losing yes. track here. Um, so we broke down a little bit of that news on the PFF NFL Daily today, which, by the way, speaking of emails, continue to email email those screenshots. 
that you're subscribed to both the daily and the PFF NFL podcast. And I will give away not just 25% off with the promo code NFL pod, a full edge subscription to somebody that sends that screenshot. So we broke it down a little bit on the daily, but now since that point, we've got Stefanski saying, Hey, it's just not a part of the football team here. So he's out. They don't want a part of OBJ. They're negotiating with Andrew Berry, GM at the top, whatever that means that, uh, it just seems like OBJ and the Browns, they're done being, uh, you know, on the same team here. Yeah. Turns out once OBJ's dad fires out the Instagram post, it's curtains. Yeah. <laughs> um, the they problem is... And they couldn't trade. It is interesting that teams don't always call the bluff, so to speak, right? Like, hey, we're not going to trade for Deshaun Jackson. He's going to be out there. We're not going to trade for OBJ. He's going to be out there. Or, or they just don't. The demand isn't there either. But um, these guys are going to pretty much be on the street, I think potentially for hire i know deshaun is but right OBJ could be as well i mean it, it's certainly possible um there there's reports that they're like discussing next steps you know gm andrew berry and odell beckham's agent i don't know what that can be i mean i guess it's <laughs> there aren't that many pathways out of this except to just cut them and move on completely which is a tough look for everybody um i i don't know i, I don't got nothing that's how we concluded the daily. Yeah, I still don't know. At the end, it was like, I can't figure out why this didn't work. Yeah. I don't know why it I'm didn't more to work. the point, have no obvious solution for like a pathway forward. Yeah. Do you have one? No. I mean, I think from a Brown standpoint, maybe just we don't, they don't have to think about this anymore. Like, why Why can't we get OBJ to be a part of the offense? Why, why is it not working? Why can't Baker Mayfield and him get on the same page or just, you know, play football well together? We can at least push that aside. Um and I also don't know why, as I mentioned on the daily, I think the process, from a process standpoint, the move is right. They traded an aging guard and gave up draft capital for a first, uh, an alpha number one receiver, which is historically a force multiplier for offenses. And we see it across the league right now. The impact of Amari Cooper or CD Lamb on the Cowboys offense, the impact of DeAndre Hopkins on the Arizona offense. The impact of Antonio Brown leaving Pittsburgh. The impact of Julio Jones leaving Atlanta or being hurt or just not being there. OBJ was at that level. The process was right and sound by the Browns. It just did not work yeah. at all. I and, and it probably is best to, to move on at this point. We talked about on the daily there being a line where somewhere, even if it's not working, at some point OBJ becomes a headache and a problem within the locker room and something you something that is having a negative effect to the overall team beyond simply not maximizing the positive influence that he can have on the field and I had no earthly idea where they were in relation to that line based off the information we had it does sound like they've crossed that line now like at the point where he's been told to stay away from the team they're meeting the GM to work out next steps. Like that sounds like the team at least is determined that they're done. You have become a bigger problem than you're worth at this point, And we just need to figure out what the exit strategy is for everybody. My computer wants me to upgrade to Windows 11. Should I do it? Anybody? No, I wouldn't. Really? Is it risky? I mean, I certainly wouldn't do it live on the podcast. Not at the moment. I'm just saying, you know, when, when the podcast is over, who's got some, what am I getting from Windows 11? Somebody give me some info here. I couldn't care less. All right, you want to talk Rams draft strategy? Yeah. All right, let's recap what's happened here. We, we discussed Vaughn Miller. We did an emergency PFF NFL daily, which, again, you can find on YouTube here as well. Emergency daily, breaking down the Vaughn Miller trade, gets traded for next year's second and third round pick. The Rams are left with, what, a third, fifth, sixth, three, five, six, seven? Is that what they have left? 
We talked. They have an extra third. Yeah, three, five, six, and two sevens. I think is what they have left now. So the Rams, uh, you know, as the meme goes, you know, who needs draft picks? The whole thing. Trade in their first. Trade in. Trade in all their picks for stars. They've traded for Jalen Ramsey. They've traded for Matthew Stafford. They've now traded for Von Miller. Clearly, they are saying we want established NFL players in exchange for the unknown of these high-end draft picks. Yeah, and it is a fascinating they're being, strategy. They're being mocked for the idea that they don't treat the draft seriously. Like they don't want draft picks. They're trading them all away. They're getting rid of everything, and all they're doing is focusing on these superstars. And most people are joking that this is a bad way of doing business. It's unsustainable. It's silly. It's a you know foolish approach to the draft and everything we know that you build teams through the draft. I think people are completely either misreading or misrepresenting what the Rams are doing with their draft picks. One, they don't trade them all away. The Rams over the last five years have picked an average of more than nine times per draft, right? You only get given like seven draft picks to start with. They are picking an average of nine plus times each one of these drafts. Even now, with all the picks they've traded away, they still have what we just said. It was a three of... What did I say? Three, five, seven, seven, three, six, seven, seven, whatever it is. They got four picks right now. Go to our mock draft tool here. Les Need was saying they anticipate getting another five from the compensatory pick system, right? Which is, I think you max out at four for a player plus the one they're getting for um, Holmes being now the Lions GM getting signed. So they're adding five. They're going to pick nine times again. Like this is a team that does maintain a lot of draft picks. Now, okay, they're not first rounders. And this is the key. They have determined that we are better off taking our highest value draft picks and flipping them for sure NFL commodities. Jalen Ramsey, Matthew Stafford. By the way, both those players have been like utterly transformative for their respective units. Um, And that way we don't have to risk missing on a draft pick because the last time we spent a first round draft pick on a player, it was Jared Goff and we got it wrong. So they've determined that we are better off using the highest value picks to uh, get pure or surefire NFL players, even if it means we're overpaying, or not overpaying, but paying more in terms of salary. But they maintain a ton of draft picks. They are still picking a lot. And their draft picks represent a really big part of their roster. They are somewhere between fourth and seventh in the NFL, depending on the measure you use, of like homegrown talent making up their roster composition. So players they've drafted. Like they... They value the draft. They just value it differently to everybody else. So if you're like out there joking that the Rams have like their team building strategies is to decide we don't even bother with the draft, just trade away all the draft picks. That that's not what they're doing. I, I'm I am very interested in it. They, so they officially they have a three, a five, and two sevens. Okay, is what they have. Um, the three, as you mentioned, came as a compensatory pick from um, from losing Brad Holmes. Um, so they've got four picks left. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I think what's happening here is they are drafting a lot. So it's, it's what we always talk about is draft and volume. And there is, there is like a drop-off in effectiveness of draft picks. First off, even a first-rounder is – it's not a coin flip exactly, but it's, it's always risky, right? Um, if you went back in every draft in three, four years after, after the fact, you went and said, who are the best 32 players in this draft? And you put those those guys up against what the first round actually was. Maybe half of them are first round picks or whatever that number is. But you'd always ha- you'd have like a random sixth rounder, you'd have a random fourth rounder, bunch of second rounders or whatever it might be. 
it would be the worst mock draft ever. It would literally be the worst mock ever. If you put that mock draft out there, you would be fired from your job as a football analyst. But you'd be right because you got the top 32 players as far as value goes. They're taking that to the extreme and saying, is the hit rate better in the first round? Yes. Better in the second round? Yes. But it slowly starts to get smaller and smaller. And there is, there is a big drop-off as far as hit rate when you get rounds four through seven. But you also have, when you do draft in volume eight, nine times a year, the goal is to just get two or three contributors mm-hmm. per year, right? And if you continue to do that, that's that's what most teams are getting out of the draft. And they're just saying, I'll take the sure thing with the first rounder. Yep. And you have to pay the guy. Most of the time you have to pay him. Right. And then I'll take more shots later on. And I always say it puts a lot of pressure, I think, on the scouting department. You do have to hit on some of those third rounders, the Cooper Cups of the world. Um, but they've made it work. I think they've essentially determined that the difference between a fifth, sixth, and seventh rounder and a third rounder is negligible. And if we just get nine picks, if we just get nine selections, we are confident in our ability to get the same volume of players, even if those picks were third rounders or seventh rounders or sixth rounders or whatever. And that's a really low number, right? It's not like they've determined it's a sure thing, but they've decided that these players are just guys that need to contribute on the roster and be passable, just be better than a replacement-level player a couple of times, and we're good. And we'll take the highest-value draft capital we have, and we'll acquire a Matthew Stafford who single-handedly completely changes the offense. And we'll acquire a Jalen Ramsey who single-handedly completely changes the defense. And I don't think that this is unsustainable. Like, this is something you can keep doing. The, the problem with comparing these two, and the, and the reason why I have more hesitancy on the Von Miller one, is because you know you've got Stafford for multiple seasons. You traded for Ramsey, and it probably wasn't it wasn't the smartest move in the world to trade for him without having a contract in place. So they probably did have to uh, pay him more than they would have if they had a contract in place at the time of the Jaguars trade. They got criticized for that, and rightfully so, I think. But now you have Ramsey long-term, and you've got Stafford for a few years. You really only have Vaughn Miller for nine games. You have him for nine games plus the playoffs. But you're basically not paying it. Like Denver are eating. Denver are paying nine of nine point seven million I, salary. I, I know, but the the benefit of Von Miller ends as soon as the season ends this year. As soon as the season ends, you get into the off season. Not entirely. Like they will entirely. Still, no, no, no. They get they'll get a comp pick for him when he walks. And th- that can no better than a five Correct. because he's ten year vested. So, but it's not nothing. Like again, not, if, I, I get it's not like, nothing. And again, if you value, if you essentially take the approach of, you know what, three to seven, the picks are the same. Now they're not, right? There is a difference. But if you've determined that the difference between a third rounder and a fourth and fifth, sixth, seventh is essentially not enough to care about, if you're looking at this, then and you're, you're just like giving up a second. If you're like, we get Von Miller for the second half of a Super Bowl push, it doesn't cost us anything effectively in terms of salary, and we are netting back one pick like we're, we're essentially trading away a second for nine million dollars of cap flexibility and half a season of a dude who is a potential game changer for a super bowl i it's definitely the shortest term move they've made in this sequence of roster building but i don't hate it like there are people out there that are like this is just dumb like you this is the inexcusable move we can't there's no defending this i mean it kind of is like it's not there are worse moves out there. The takes are all over the place, Sam. The takes are all over the place. Uh, the Atlanta Braves just won the World Series as a team that really didn't have a chance right around the trade deadline and then made some moves at the trade deadline that led to a championship. I mean, football is different. You don't, you don't play. Baseball, there's like 
at the trade deadline, there's like teams will make three or four huge moves. You right. don't get that in the NFL um, because you also don't get the impact from one player as much as you do in, say, a baseball or, or basketball or whatever it is. But I don't think there's any harm in going for it if you have a plan. The reason why people are tied to this idea that going for it is bad because teams did it poorly. Yeah, they, it's usually teams, all or nothing. Right. Like if you miss, it, you're, you're screwed. Teams used to go – it was like the – Washington early Dan Snyder years, right? It's like give me Albert Hainsworth, give me give me every right. big the, name player. The in free Eagles agency. here when they won free agency, Eagles the, the dream team. So we grew up in this um, football world, the salary cap football world, with this axiom that you can't go all in to win a championship. It just doesn't work in football the way it might in other sports. And for the most part, that's been true because teams didn't didn't fix it on the backside, which I think you're describing. They do have a ton of draft picks historically now because they only have four next year and so maybe they get a comp pick for von miller they get up to five draft picks there's still some wheeling and dealing that needs to be done there right or they're going to get a couple more comp picks from if they get more comp picks from john johnson leaving troy hill so that's what they're leaving, they are expecting they're going to get up to that seven this year they are expecting to get um i think five was the number that lesney put on it which is four that you there the maximum you can get for players is four and then one for Holmes, the gm so if they get five comp picks plus the three or four that they're already left, I can't remember if that counts the Holmes one, the four that we currently have. Holmes is counting for. as one. Okay, so that that then they've got three plus the five. They'll have eight picks before they even start drafting. Typically, the Rams trade down more than any other team. They will pick more than nine times again. Like again, this idea that they've traded away all the draft picks, they've got nothing left. They don't. They have. They're gonna have. Eight, nine picks left, and they'll trade down and get more. This is a team that values the draft. They just value it differently to everybody else. And they're also, right now, their last two second-round picks, Cam Akers and Tutu Atwell, getting nothing from either guy. And then the and, last first-round pick was Jared Goff. Like you can, de- <laughs> right. you can definitely construct an argument that like we don't want any part of those first two rounds. All I will say, all I will say, though, it's, it's not without risk. I do think it is more difficult to find players because when you do hit on a first or second round player, that is, I mean, that's the best value in the NFL, right? When you hit on a first or second round player and you have a first contract that you're paying them and you're getting on-field production out of them, yeah. that is the best value in the NFL. But it's the it's the um, risk analysis of, yeah, oh, great. If we if you could tell us we could get the rookie quarterback on the great, like cheap deal, absolutely. Awesome. But how many picks do we need to torch before that happens? Versus just flipping it for Matthew Stafford. Like they have essentially made that determination that, yeah, that's great. That's the dream. That's what everybody's chasing for. But we think we've actually got a better shot of doing it this way and overpaying for the guy that we know is good. All I'm saying is here's, here's right now, where I think it's hard to argue. All I'm saying is here's where I think you incur the risk, right? If you, if you're losing the ability to hit on first and second rounders that are going to be cheap, you're losing that ability. You're putting stock in needing to hit on rounds three through seven somewhere. Somewhere you have to hit on some of those picks, the Cooper Cups of the world. That is very much the strategy that made the Seattle Seahawks. And it's also the strategy that dropped the Seattle Seahawks from elite to just another roster, right? They went from, can you sustain hitting on those picks? I've brought that up a bunch, right? Seattle became the best defense in the league or the best team in the league in 2013 and very close in 2014 by hit, by having Russell Wilson in the third round and Richard Sherman and Cam Chancellor and all those guys in the middle rounds. But, and that luck ran out at some point. But the difference is Seattle weren't doing anything else in addition to that. 
Like, the difference between the two is, even if the Rams stop hitting on draft picks completely, they have still taken all of their most valuable assets and gotten the most valuable positions in the NFL covered by them, right? So if you're Seattle and the entire thing was built off, like, nailing drafts, we had, you know, Russell Wilson, Richard Sherman, we had all these guys we got in the draft, and then suddenly you stop hitting on the draft? Well, now, okay, but what? So where's the team getting better? If you're the Rams and you stop hitting on draft picks, you can still say, all right, we haven't added anything to the draft, but on the other hand, we still are bringing in these elite players by flipping the most valuable draft assets we have. Like that, I think, is is a real difference. And again, what they've determined is a better way of doing it because it isn't actually relying as much. We we have a question why you know from uh, somebody in the chat. Why isn't hitting on a third to seventh rounder more of a value than hitting on a first or second? Of course it is, but the percentages do drop, right? And and, significantly. uh, Is it uh, Jordan Rodrigue who covers the um, covers the Rams for the Athletic? She does she does a lot of great work as far as like. She's plugged into the organization and does a lot of like deep dive type of stuff, process oriented stuff. And she used the phrase like they put this into their team building model, right? So um, Sarah Bailey heads up their analytics department over there. I know she's done great work through the years. The, um, I know a few people in the front office there. I know that they put a lot of thought into this. They've studied this. They do specifically devalue the linebacker position and you can see that right when we rank their linebackers every year it's like 31st or 32nd but they realize you know what aaron donald's going to make up for that like aaron donald's going to be more valuable than our entire linebacking core anyway so they have answers for this stuff all i'm saying is they have a formula so to speak or an algorithm they have something that they're plugging this into yes that is pointing to make this move rather than that make the vaughn move um but but every move is not 100%. It's like the go so. for it decision on fourth down. And I'm just I'm trying to bring to light where the risk is. At some point there is risk in this whole thing. Right, and but- giving up two picks for half a year of Von Miller is risky, especially if you don't like it is saying like we, if we win the Super Bowl it's worth it. If they don't win the Super Bowl was it worth it because it is going to hinder their team building effort going forward no matter what the formula says. This is the most sort of short-sighted move that they have made. But again, like if if not every move is like this one, right? This is one – all of these – team roster construction is always a spectrum of moves, right? It's yeah. it's a bunch of low-round guys. It's a, it's a top-round guy. It's the high-price free agents. It's the low-price free agents. It's a whole Diversify mix. your funds, man. Right. So this is the least defensible move that they have made in terms of a long-term sustainable model of doing things. On the other hand, if it's the only one you do, okay, it's it's a risk. It's worth taking a shot, isn't it? Right? This is a team that right now is arguably the best in the NFL. And remember, narrowly missed out on the first Super Bowl chance they had, right? This is not a team that already has one in the bank, you know, who can kind of... Right. They were can, close. They almost got there and didn't. Now they they desperately want to get back to that Super Bowl and win it this time. So if this is your one sort of over the line, you know, a little bit too far, immediate short-term move... It, it's not great, but I, I don't hate taking a shot, like rolling the dice and seeing if you can uh, hit the six because of it. I, I think the other... But the point is, everybody's treating it like this is, the, this is the only thing they do. They just take all their draft picks, they right. flip them for players, and they don't even draft. They don't even care about the draft. If you just look at their look at their roster composition, look at the number of times they're drafting, that is not how the Rams are going about things. This is not this like psychotic, reckless approach to the draft this is just treating the value in draft picks that everybody agrees that it's treating the value different. And instead of like using the value as a, you know, a uh, sort of change in the odds for drafting, 
they use the value and flip it for something tangible. Yeah, and just for perspective too, 2019 draft. They're, Taylor Rapp's a starter right now. They're second rounder. You have third round running back Daryl Henderson contributing. You have third round cornerback David Long who replaced Troy Hill who leaves. Right? I mean, they've they have done a good job of having the replacements ready. Fifth round uh, guard David Edwards play. I mean, they, they're getting a lot of value out of those guys. Van Jefferson was a second rounder at receiver. He was the other second rounder with Cam Akers in 2020. Terrell Burgess, I still believe, is a good player. Jordan Fuller is a sixth rounder who's starting at safety. So they are they are finding starting caliber players. In 2018, Brian Allen, starter. Obo Okoronkwo uh, hasn't played a ton, but has been a contributor, right? So they're getting players yeah. in those other rounds. We mentioned Cup many times as a third rounder. They got John Johnson in the third round. So the other part of it is, are, are they that good at evaluating th- rounds three through seven? Do they trust that ability so much, despite what the data says, that eh, maybe that isn't sustainable? We're at a run of, I don't know, since 2016, because you know, they had Tyler Higby in the fourth round. He was more of a second rounder who fell because of off field. But since 2017, they've done a pretty good job of finding value on days two and three. And they're banking on that going forward in exchange to, for having Stafford and uh, Ramsey and all these other good players. I said something else I wanted to add to it, too. Yeah? Yeah. How's that going? Um, here's the one other point, right? They're not just going all in for this year. The Vaughn Miller move is just for this year. Yeah. But I do think the Rams are thinking in windows of time here. And I don't know if, if like, from a team-building strategy, if that's not the worst. Like, here's this three-year window where we're going to try to win. We don't want to sacrifice the three years, Right. But it's a three-year window. We might sacrifice year four. It's kind of like what New England was in last year, right? They tried to win in a late-career Tom Brady window. Last year was a big sacrifice year for them. Bad cap situation. They hadn't drafted well in a couple years, so they had to restock the roster this year. So you lose a year. And and I think the Rams, it, It's when, it, when and if it comes back to bite the Rams, it's like, okay, in 2023, we got to bite the bullet, and or 24, whatever it is. We might have a bad year. But we had this window of time where we were a Super Bowl contender. I don't even know if if that's the case. It also um, might not. I don't right. Know. Like the, the problem with this, this is a unique approach to team building in the NFL. There, nobody else is doing it like this. Um, the problem with that is we're not we haven't got enough evidence yet. We're not far along enough in the project to determine if there's a another shoe to drop. So it's like, you know, every year people mock the Saints for the way they deal with their salary cap. Right. And it's like, oh, cap hell is just around the corner. Cap hell's been around the corner for like a decade. It's not coming, right? Yeah. They, they, they treat the cap in a different way to everybody else. They don't treat it like they're idiots. Like they understand how it works. They're not like, this isn't some reckless, idiotic way of dealing with it. The, the reckoning that you th- keep thinking is coming doesn't come. And the reason it doesn't come is because they plan this out. Now, we're just not far enough in along in this process to understand if they've got it planned out the way the Saints do and they can keep going like this for like a decade or if they are one of those teams like the Eagles or like the Patriots or the teams that did kind of go harder at a specific window of time, knowing that somewhere along the line, there would be consequences. Yeah, it is. It's going to be fun to watch. I'm uh, I'm intrigued by it. Uh, the Rams, look, they're one of the best teams in the NFL. Uh, you could see down the road where they're going to have, you know, like an Andrew Whitworth to replace. And, we'll, you know, we'll see what happens. But power move by the Rams going after Vaughn Miller. So... As always, I'm strictly on the fence with it. I think there's risk because it's a one year, but I think it fits into their their overall strategy and they find they've found ways to mitigate it. 
Do we even have time to do Thursday Night Football? Should we push that to tomorrow? Yeah. Colts, Jets. Okay. We're over an hour here. Also, it's the Colts, Jets. It's also the Colts, Jets. We'll probably Mike touch on it quickly. Season. There's a lot to talk about. Is there anything else we missed around the NFL this week? Appreciate oh. everybody being on YouTube. Don't forget to hit that thumbs up while you're in here. Uh, I think that's it. Sounds like a great show. It's in my notes. It's yeah. going to be a great show. Okay. I that was an awesome show. We talked about a lot. Anything else you want to cover on the way out here? No. Okay, great. Don't drink and drive. Do not drink and drive. Do not. Don't do it. I agree. All right, guys. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. Again, hit that thumbs up. Use the promo code NFLPOD, NFLPOD, 25% off any PFF subscription. A bunch of you have already done that. We appreciate it. We're here to help you. We'll be back here tomorrow previewing all of the, was it week nine? Yeah. All the week nine action. See you tomorrow.